All right, welcome to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Andrew is on the West Coast on tour with his band Through It All. We talked about that a few uh, episodes ago. So I'm doing this solo and I am here today with a guy that I remember seeing a picture and I found it of Eric Lindros checking this coach with this mustache that looked like uh, Magnum P.I. Uh, <laughs> into the boards. And I remember seeing it in the hockey news or somewhere. And yeah. uh, we have this this coach. It was his personal coach. And we're going to talk to him today. So would you please welcome hockey great, hockey coach great, Dave Cameron. Dave, uh, Dan Cameron, Dan, welcome. Yeah, listen, it's great to be here. And I get that Dave Cameron a lot, but that's okay. He's only an NHL coach. <clears throat> But, yeah, Eric Lindros and Brett Lindros, I tutored those guys for a number of years, almost like six, seven years. And, yeah, there was a picture on the Toronto Star of uh, showing the boys how to uh, how you take a guy out along the wall, you know, elbow in front of the chest, uh, thigh behind the hamstring. And uh, I was parallel. It was, of course, it was set up. I mean, uh, but it was quite the picture. There's uh, – a picture of us and Wendell Clark, uh, who was the captain of the Leafs. Small little picture under it, but uh, yeah, those were those were those were great times working with Eric. So we have listener base all the way through Europe, particularly the UK and of course uh, North America. Let's get a little bit into um, who you are and and how you started here. So you actually played uh, junior. Uh, and had a tr even had a tryout with the then, now this is for our younger listeners, the 70s, the World Hockey Association, the double H, uh, the double HA. You had a tryout with the Toronto Toros. Yeah, the uh, it's funny, you know, <clears throat> when I think about that, I actually played uh, Oakville Intermediate A, which was uh, kind of a um, best way to describe it, a dirtbag league. And, uh, I was playing baseball. Hockey was my third sport. I was playing baseball in Oakville. And I played junior football for the Lakeshore Bears for five years. And um, But I played ball hockey. I played uh, pickup hockey uh, on the street and ended up playing uh, up till juvenile. And uh, one of the players on our baseball team uh, – uh, Doug Savin said, hey, do you play hockey? Because I was always kind of doing some crazy things in baseball, like uh, uh, hit a home run and get the third base, start running backwards from third base to home plate. And then next thing you know, there'd be a little a little uh, tilt. And uh, <laughs> so even when I was a kid growing up, my dad would call me bombhead. I was always coming home with a black eye. I was always – I was a small kid. Uh, I was like uh, five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and I was. But I, I had a big heart, and I was always getting in over my head. And of course, I grew to you know be six two and a couple hundred pounds. And but uh, I was, yeah, I got invited to this uh, Toro camp through actually playing in the intermediate A league, and a guy by a name by Buck Cool, and Brian Conacher was the coach, and. Uh, I went to that Toro camp uh, an hour late. They were doing uh, drills. And I said, uh, Billy Harris was a coach. And I, I, I said, listen, uh, I was up pretty late the night before. And I says, I'll just wait till you see me in the scrimmage. 
<laughs> like a hot shot. Like here, here guys have gone through the OHL or gone, you know, been in other pro leagues, and I'm just coming in there with the long hair and uh, uh, yeah, crazy guy and uh, yeah, and I had a good camp and uh, but. Uh, they wanted to send me to the minors. I had hurt myself, and I was uh, I basically, you know, wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, you just can't walk in there. I mean, I was a naturally gifted skater, which helped me later on working with all the great NHL players, future NHL players they did, because I could skate. I could, uh, you know, when I had a gift, I could shoot the puck. I, I could play. A lot of people say I should have played in the NHL, but, uh, yeah, that's easy to say. I mean, if you're so good. How come you didn't make it? But it was my third sport, football. I played 365 days of the year. We played in the snow. We we went outside on our street in the neighborhood we were at. It used to be all farmland, and they were building houses, and there, there'd be ponds everywhere. There'd be football fields. Uh, my, uh, my, my best friend's uh, brothers played football, and and they would they would organize these games, and uh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So you uh, instead of grinding it out in the minors, like you said, you made the choice. Yeah. Hey, I'm not going to do that. So you get into um, arena management, which leads into sort of your your beginning of your coaching career, and that's a great story. Yeah, well, it's funny because when I did go to the Toro camp. I I actually um, you know because I hate saying this. Okay, well, help me to make it. I got hurt. Well, actually, that's what happened. I tore my groin, and um, I'm not saying that's why I didn't make it, but uh, I was rehabbing, skating at an outdoor rink, or just skating around wondering, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, I was pretty young, um, and uh, this guy skates up to me, who I knew as a childhood friend, um, who I used to play football with all the time, and he was actually my hero. He was a couple of years older than me, and he um, he was a good football player. I played in this league, Eatonville, uh, Eatonville uh, Kiwanis Football League for Balmy Beach, and I'd see him play, and I'd, he said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I just, you know, been trying to get back. I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm going to try to go play in the minors somewhere. I don't know what. I mean, you're not going to make anything, but. He said, why don't you um, go to this uh, arena, because he was working for the city, and he says, and meet this man named Peter Kennedy, and you can become his assistant manager if he likes you. So I go to meet him. I walk in there. He's got the nice suit on. He's got the nice beetle haircut. And <laughs> looking at him, I'm kind of thinking, oh, boy, I'm going to work with this guy. He's now my best friend. This is like 40, 50 years later. And, um, uh, yeah, I take the job there. <clears throat> I work for eight months, and then I become a supervisor, arena manager a year later, and they send me to Mimico Arena, which is down in the Lakeshore, uh, home of Brendan Shanahan. He went to the high school. Uh, lots of good athletes there, pro lacrosse players. And... Uh, yeah, I'm watching a high school practice one day and I'm looking at them through the glass and I'm thinking, these guys are terrible. Like, just lazy, they're 
they look like a bunch of well, it's a blue collar town. I, I mean, they're just they're not really. There's no direction. There's yeah. I don't even know if they had anyone leading them. And so I say to the principal, I said, these guys are brutal. I don't know he's the principal. And it turns out it's Carly Akimov. Uh, he's a great handball player, impeccably dressed. And he says, well, I'm the principal. And I says, well, and he says, sorry about that. He says, uh, what's your hockey background? And I said, well, I don't like just nothing really. I mean, I, you know, I play hockey. I, he says, well, if you're so good, why don't you go on the ice? Why don't you coach them? I said, I don't know anything about coaching. I'm not going to coach. And the next thing you know, I'm a couple of days later, I'm on the ice with them, skating around with my gear on and pounding them, and we're scrimmaging, and they love it. I hook up with this other guy named Riley Bowie, <laughs> who uh, <clears throat> brother later on played for me at Henry Carr and Jr. and ended up going to Notre Dame. So here I am. Just think I'm getting into nothing. And, uh, yeah, I uh, end up coaching there. We win some high school championships. And here's where it gets interesting. Uh, I'd gone to Michael Power High School uh, for one year. I um, failed grade eight. I failed grade three. And as it turned out, I subsequently failed uh, grade nine as well when I went to this school that I am, I'm going to tell you about I'm uh I'm in uh I'm in grade eight I'm, I'm going all over the map here I'm, okay uh, this all connects to yeah uh, Mimico and connects to the work so as I'm coaching in Mimico we're going to play against this team called Henry Carr Crusaders um who are a well-oiled machine uh and the principal of the school is Father Moen, who is a, a principal who had kicked me out of high school, or kicked me out of, yeah, kicked me out of high school. So to get into that high school that he kicked me out of, I had to write an entrance exam for uh, 600 uh, kids, 300 spots, but I couldn't because I had failed grade eight at 59%. So my mother goes to the school once goes to meet the principal in grade eight and says, listen, my son's not stupid. It's like, I don't understand 59%. And the principal says, well, first of all, he missed a hundred days of school because <laughs> I used to go fishing. I'd, the school was right at the bottom of the street. I'd go in one door and out the other door and I'd go right to the Creek with my buddy who I play football with all the time. Yeah. So, um, I write the entrance exam, come in third, get an academic bursary. They pay my way. Then I go on to set another record at uh, uh, high school, get 27% because I never went to class at all. <laughs> I hated it. I uh, I had one, there was one class I went to that I did really well in Latin and got a good mark because the, 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 the teacher there was an athlete and made it competitive and we would compete and learn the language and um, yeah, so that was that. And so now we're back to at the end of that year, high school year, that first year, the principal wasn't going to keep me around. See you later, beat it. 20 years later, I think I was 13 at the time. 20 years later, I'm now 33. I'm at uh, Mimico and I'm coaching this high school team. And we had a good team coaching along with Riley Bowie and I are coaching. 
and uh, his brother Joe's on the team. And uh, like I said, he went to end up going to Notre Dame. Um, he says, Dad, is that you? I goes, yes, Father, bless me, for I have sinned. It's been 20 years since I've seen you. I was born, <laughs> I was raised a Catholic. Right? So he says, my, you have a disciplined team. Well, what I did is I asked the players to go get you know, sports jackets and get some nice pants, get a shirt and tie, and try to look presentable. But we weren't like that down in Mimico. We were just blue jeans, you know, work boot, Kodiak boots. Uh, yeah, we were just, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so as it turned out, I got transferred as an arena manager up to the northern part of Etobicoke, where I was raised. And Henry Carr was up there and became the arena manager there at the original place that I was the assistant manager to with this Peter Kennedy. And he went down to Mimico and I went to to Albion Arena and became the arena manager there and coached along with a guy named Peter Miller, who's the athletic director, who was probably the most influential person I met that would help shape my coaching career um, in terms of discipline and commitment and preparation and all the things I lacked. I had a gift to communicate, relate, and motivate players, for sure. I know that. That came from God, without doubt. Like, um, and he was an all-out, relentless pursuit of of, uh, of excellence. And um, so it was kind of we were opposites. We kind of didn't really mesh at the beginning, but Father Moen brought us together. He had a plan. He knew he had a vision. He was a, a builder of many high schools in Calgary, other places, and St. Mike's, et cetera. And so that helped shape my coaching career immensely because I brought Joe Bowie from Mimico um, to this uh, Henry Carr School. And there was a lot of controversy whether or not he should be coming because he was already in grade, finishing grade 13. And so we arranged that he would repeat grade 13 to get a Roman Catholic education of Henry Carr, but it was really just for hockey. <laughs> wow. wow. But, yeah, it goes on. It's like I end up coaching there, and, yeah, it's, that was unbelievable. We had a guy named Pat Flatley on the team and Paul Higgins, uh, first uh, Canadian high school uh uh, player to be drafted into the NHL and went on to who I became his agent later. Anyway, I could go on about all that. When you started coaching, did you know from that minute that this is what you were meant to do? It sounds like it. You know, I, I like I said, I played baseball in the Halton County League uh, for Oakville Oaks and uh, and he told the co-Indians, uh, Bob Smythe was the manager. He was the guy that uh, was Joey Bottles' uh, mentor. And, you know, I was a good ball player, struck out a lot, couldn't hit a curveball, but could, you know, run the bases and make good catches and uh, was a good center fielder and and just, you know, a good natural athlete in, in football, baseball, and hockey. But, uh, and, um I just, it was never meant for me to be a pro athlete. I mean, I like to think I should have been one, and I know I was a good athlete. But I think God had a plan for me to coach. Like, I, I like, it's when I 
And I remember Gary Unger mentioned something about being raised in a Christian family. I was raised in a Catholic family, and that helped shape me. I, I've come to learn um, back then and even to this day that, you know, there's three dimensions. You're academically, athletically, and spiritually a balanced person. <clears throat> and you need all of those areas to be fully developed academically. I failed three grades. Yeah, I was not committed. I was not um, uh, disciplined. I just wanted to fool around. I just wanted to go out. I mean, I'd be in school uh, and uh, these stories are so hard to believe. But when I reflect back, I'd be in French class in high school and I just couldn't stand being in class. And our French teacher, Father Hanrahan, wore these hearing aids and he really had difficulty hearing and he'd be writing on the blackboard <laughs> and I'd say to the guys I've had enough not too loud I've had enough let's get to Paul Francais au revoir like whatever just choking around like a punk in grade nine I'd open the window walk and slide out the window because it was ground floor i go around back into the school, go to the gym, grab a football, and I'd be outside throwing the football up in the air to myself. <laughs> and then and just running around like a complete idiot. And then I later on, I, I'd say to one of the guys, did Father Hanrahan, what did he say? He didn't even know, but everybody in the class was looking at you outside, and he kept going, what's going on? It was just causing <laughs> trouble all the time and so i had a great childhood and great i love i i wish i had been committed in school you know to yeah. go the distance you know what a help you start um earning your cred you start going uh basically to school coaching school by doing all this stuff and i want to hear a story you you uh you're on the staff in the ohl with uh legendary coach bill laforge <clears throat> How did that come about, and what was it like, and what did you learn from him? Well, oh boy, all all roads lead to you know a good ending. You hope, but the beginning of that, those roads are really uh, really strange. I was coaching, like I said, I coached Henry Carr. We we won a. We won an All-Ontario Championship in 79. We won uh, Sutherland Cup in 82. We went undefeated, first team in the history of the OHA to go undefeated in over 100 years. And then um, coaching uh, coaching in the Father David Bauer tournament. Uh, we were 25 wins and one loss at the time. We are playing this team. And... Uh, this is leading up to the OH, OHA, OHL. And, and like, I like to tell these stories, the crazy stories, and, you know, whether you're proud of them or not, doesn't matter. It's all part of what made me and endeared me to the players, I guess. Uh, we're, um, we're in this tournament and we got a really good team, but we're getting smoked uh, by Niagara Senec. And I, I, I'm saying to the referees, hey, listen, you, you know, you're, you're doing a number on us, Leo. Like we're the best team in the league. Like we're not 
you know, we're we're man, we're going to be man down for like almost half a period, and I don't know whatever happened. It just escalated, and I so at the end of the second period, I figured out we're going to be shorthanded to almost at least most of the period. So I say to both our goalies, Paul Reed and Paul O'Donnell, good goalies, I say, guys, take your stuff off. And the players are going, what? Take your stuff off. That's it. That we're not, we're going to play four men on the ice. You know, two men down, you're five on three. We're going to play two men. We're going to play four guys on the ice. Whatever happens, we go to the box. We're going to have four guys on the ice. It's hard enough to hit an empty net, even when you're trying for uh, from 100 feet or 200. And guys are like, coach, go. I goes, no, we're doing it. And one of uh, one of my players uh, wasn't impressed. Mike Fuda's, uh ended up being an L.A. assistant GM, won a couple of cups. And, uh, um, yeah, he says, coach, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, he's on Sportsnet now. He's pretty well to, you know, pretty well out there. And so I said, nope, we're doing it. That's what we're doing. Screw this referee. There's nothing against it. It says we can't. So we're, we're, we start the period. There's no referee comes over. Where's your goalie? I says, no, nah, they're not playing. They're done. You know, we're, we're playing four guys on the ice. That's the way it's going. There's there's nothing he can do. He's kind of stymied. Yeah. Brent Lads is the commissioner of the, the Metro League at the time. And I think he might have been at the game. He wasn't impressed. No one was impressed. Full full house. Like when I say full house, maybe 1,500, 2,000, whatever it was. It kind of was a travesty, to be honest. But it gets better. I uh, gave one of my players. I'm gonna. I should remove some of the names. I gave one of my players some money, and I had our trainer uh, phone the pizza place with two for one, which just around the corner at Western Arena. And we had we ordered two pizzas and had it sent to the penalty box. (laughs) (laughs) Two pizzas sent to the penalty box. Um, The players are in there. Enrico Rossi, who uh, I, I, I heard that Pat Curcio said that Rico had coached him in one of the leagues he was in. Rico ended up playing in Northeastern, getting a scholarship. He's in the penalty box with the skates off and his feet up on the dasher board with his happy uh, socks on. It was there's nothing that says you can't take your skates off. I mean, it was just it became really crazy. Yeah, I mean, I could not tell that story, but <laughs> what the heck, man. It was funny, and this referee was giving it to us. And, um, yeah, so you think that's good, eh, Coach Cam? You think that was funny, and you think that's good? Well, guess what? At the conclusion of that game – oh, by the way, we ended up having no one on our bench because we were were getting penalties left and right. The referee was not impressed. We called a timeout. We dumped our water bottles all in, in the crease, all the water, no goalie. <laughs> the timeout wasn't at our bench. The timeout, we got, came, got our water bottles, went to the crease, and it was just a complete joke. Uh, I get called into Brent Ladd's office the next day. Uh, Dan, um, you're suspended for the rest of the year. Uh, it's time for you to move on. You've, you've done everything you have. I mean, here – we're coming from a couple of years earlier. We'd won the All Ontario. We were, you know, a real good machine. And yeah, so um, I get contacted 
by Bill LaForge four days later after I get suspended. Bill LaForge had heard me speak at a coaching symposium because apparently our teams were successful and I got to speak on building championship teams and power plays, et cetera. And I ended up going to the OH uh, Hamilton Steelhawks. And Bill, uh, but there was also some controversy. David Branch didn't want me coming into the league because, the, you know, here's this crazy coach. Right. But um, it wasn't so much that I was crazy. It was true what Brent Ladd said. It was time to move on. I mean, there was nothing more to accomplish. We were we were a powerhouse. We because of uh, Peter Miller, our athletic director, his his whole thing was get kids scholarships, and he would speak on their behalf, and he was a great a great salesman. And um, when I say salesman, I mean you're you know when you're talking about some of the players that we sent, which was a lot. They didn't really need selling. They were good players. But certain players that Peter would sort of want them to, schools he'd want them to go to, I, I would tell the coaches there, like guys like Fern Flamin in Boston and Donnie McKenney, who were, they were in Northeastern at the time. Yeah. I'd say, no, listen, you don't want that player. Like one of the players uh, that we were going to send was uh, Rich Newer, but he ended up going to Providence with Lou Lamorello. And I said, no, you should take this Rico Rossi guy. So Rico Rossi ended up going to Northeastern. And so I was more like, like no, this is the way these guys are more uh, the truth. I don't know. I'm not saying that Peter wasn't telling the truth, but he just wanted to get those kids scholarships. But sometimes, you know, you've got to make sure they're in the right fit. So I um, I ended up going to Hamilton Steelhawks with uh, Bella Forge. And Bella Forge sort of had a reputation, and so did I, and – I'd worked with some players that were really weren't following the program as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a great mix. I got to meet – I got to coach Keith Primo, Brad May, uh, Scott Pearson, uh, like, uh, some about 13, uh, 14 guys that went on to play in the NHL. And uh, from there, I went to Niagara Falls the following year. And um, from – and our power play was pretty impressive. I had, I always had a reputation for having a good power play. And it was a good power play. It was the best. The, the, the percentages was the best in the league, every league I was in. And uh, I never really used conventional power play setups. I used a lot of, I mean, it sounds different, but it was. I used a lot of football formations, patterns. Uh, basketball was... Uh, John Wooden was very influential in my coaching as far as uh, him being a coach and changing things and having a certain style of coaching, communicating, relating to the players in this pyramid of success. And and I, I really didn't really model myself after any other coaches. But the one thing I know, all we did everywhere I went, whether it be minor hockey, um, you know, high school hockey, junior B hockey, junior A, all we did everywhere, pro, we won. And I can remember saying to my wife, why do we win all the time? Like, what? Like I, you know, I remember uh, going to uh, a high school uh, symposium. I was, co I had to speak at a symposium. I'm listening to all these coaches. They're all teachers. They're all, well, they're all teachers. And uh, so they're educators and they're good coaches and they're, and I'm going to speak on how to build a championship team. And I'm listening to them talk about their systems. 
I don't know anything about it. I don't know. We don't have any systems. Like when I was at Mimico, we used, I was the arena manager. We used to, we used to go on the ice, scrimmage for about 45 minutes. Then I tell them to take their skates off, go into the dress room, put their, uh, their Kodiaks because they were all wearing Kodiaks. And then we'd go back on the ice, all, you know, the ice was snowed up and we would scrimmage again, uh, running around on the ice. And so what are you doing? You're, when you're running on the ice in your Kodiaks, you got to make perfect passes and you're running and you're, 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 you're you just got to be to get that puck to another guy. You've got to really, you're working on your balance. You're working on, uh, your conditioning, you're working on good passing. And then, then uh, after 20 minutes, half hour, we flood the ice, go back on the ice and scrimmage again. That's what we were doing. Yeah. And like our breakout was we had one player named Ted Franklin who was just really good. He'd, I'd say, Ted, take the puck as far as you can. And as it turned out, when I went to the OHL and incorporated a power play there, we had a guy named Brian Fogarty. And I said, uh, Bill of Forces will like, yeah, well, here's the system we're using. Uh, what, what, what are your plans? I said, well, my plan is I'm just telling LaForge to get the puck and go as far as he can. You ever heard of a guy named Bobby Orr? <laughs> <laughs> this look, this, this, uh, this guy, he just, he would go, he scored 48 goals, 46 goals in the OHL. So yeah, I, um, I end up uh, speaking at those symposiums. And when I heard all these high school coaches in the lobby talking about their systems, I'm thinking, I'm going to tell them how to build a championship team. I don't even know what they're talking about. Right. So I started, and like, I was like, I was saying these football patterns. I tell guys, like, just take the puck when you get to the, you know, when you get to the far blue line, maybe go to the corner and then come back. Like in football, receivers would run corner patterns, post patterns, and then they do button hooks. Now in hockey, they call it drive and delay. You're driving, you drive the you drive the defenseman, then you'll turn and you'll do a loop like a candy cane and come back. The other player will come and reverse, and uh, you know go to the post and like. So after I realized I didn't, I was the style of coaching I had was just to let them play. Yeah. And I even had players like Paul Cavalier says, Coach, you want to play? Let's play. Like I said, Yeah, let's go. We're going to play. Scrimmaging. Even Don Cherry said it one night on Hockey Night in Canada. He says, Yeah, I watched him with our J- that JRC, the junior Canadians. You know, we had Tafoli, Smith, Pelly, Haim, and all, all these guys. Uh, he says, All they do is scrimmage. Well, we did scrimmage. I always scrimmaged 20 minutes to a half hour. But when I realized when I started going to these symposiums, all these coaches have these systems. I mean, when in Rome, do like the Romans. I'm going to learn these systems. Then I started coming up with my own. Yeah. Like the Scotty Bowen in Detroit had the left wing lock, which I think he might have got from the Russians or whatever. And so I took that left wing lock. I changed it. I changed it to more like football, like where you had the free safety and the two backs. So I kept my two defense. I didn't keep my left wing back. I kept my 2D on the blue line, and whoever the third forward going into the offensive zone was, because you can't, if you say to a player, okay, look, D1, D2, F1, F2, F, F first forward in, 
that's you. You're the left winger, the first guy in. Center or the winger, you're the second guy or or the center, whatever it is. It, that's not the way the game goes. It's like sometimes you've got – it could be like if you look at the Bruins and you got Pasternak and you got uh, uh, Marshawn and you got uh, Giroud, it might be uh, like Pasternak, Pasternak might be the first guy in. Right. In, in the corner. Or whoever the first guy is, whoever the second guy is, go to these spots. So this is – so we – when I was at Henry Carr, we used that two three. We used to call it the two three uh, crunch, like your first man in, second second man in the slot, three across the top. If the puck came along the wall, that D man would come down. The third third forward would slide over. Anyway, I learned the systems, and I learned that um, let the players. I I used to say, look. There's a frame. We we have a framework. This is how we how we operate. We've got to have certain players in four corners of, a, of an area of the ice. You can paint the picture whatever way you want, guys. Yeah. But there's the framework's got to be there. <clears throat> and I used to break the ice, the three zones, into nine nine circles. So there'd be 27 circles on the ice. Told, this is all different from any other coaches I ever heard speak or talk about. So it wasn't really hard for me. I just say, look, the puck's in the corner. There's a circle there. Then the puck's around the net. There's a circle there. The puck's in the other other opposite end of the side of the rink. There's another circle there. Be it uh, there's 60 feet in a circle, you just divide it into a certain footage. So now that you've got the midpoint, the board point, left defenseman's on the board point. The midpoint, the, the, the third forward's there, and the other defenseman's the other. And so I just said, there's our frame. It's not a square. It's a circle. Make sure whatever area of the ice in the offensive zone, the nine circles, if the puck is there, make sure we've got more players inside that circle. If we have three guys in that circle and they have two, our odds of coming up with the puck are better. If we have four guys, we used to, talking about the OHL, when I went to the OHL, the we were losing one game to Peterborough. Ty Domi was on the team, Ricci, all these good players. And we're, we're in the playoffs and we're losing by uh, uh, two goals with a, might have been three goals. With a couple of minutes to go in the game, and Bill LaForce says, What like what should we do? I says, shoot, like dump the puck into the corner, and four guys go into the corner. Four. So we send four guys into the corner. One of our guys comes up, we score. I mean, fast forward, we end up scoring three goals. We end up winning the game, scoring enough to tie the game and get the winning goal. And then Bill LaForce calls it the 41 crunch in the newspaper. The next day we're going into Peterborough with Dick Todd and this 41 crunch. It was, we were losing by three. It was a crazy comeback. And all it was was more guys in that circle in the corner. So even to this day, when I watch a hockey game, whenever the pucks in any section of the ice, any of those 27 circles, people can say you're crazy. Uh, 
I mean, I know people said my elevator didn't go all the way up to the top. <laughs> but all I know is that we won. We won everywhere. It, when, when I was coaching junior Canadians, I was there from when they were their first year as seven, eight-year-olds, right through to the uh, minor midget to be drafted into the OHL. We had six out of the first 10 guys picked in the first round, starting with the number one pick. And uh, uh, all we did was, was win. And high school, we won. And uh, there's a reason why we won. And I'm not, I'm not taking the credit. It was real simple. I remember asking Floyd uh, uh, Crawford, who played for Belleville McFarland's way back in the day, his sons, Mark, and he had, I think, three kids in the NHL, uh, one coach, Mark Crawford. I said, Floyd, what's the secret to, uh, to winning on the road? And he used to say, well, when you uh, when you get on that bus and you pull into town, like it'd be Kingston or Trenton or wherever you're going, when your players get off the bus, make sure you got the best players getting off the bus. <laughs> so when I think back, when we co when I coached, we always had good players. So if you've got the best players, your job now does not become uh, uh, teaching them how to play. They already know how to play. Your job doesn't become teaching them systems of play. They, they already know how the system works. They've been playing a number of years. Your job becomes how do you get them to become real teammates? And that's where I think about John Wood. And we first must think just of the team and sacrifice the selfish dream and know that if the team does well in every way, each must excel. It doesn't matter who is to blame. Everyone must truly play the game. So you're now managing egos. So imagine... Imagine you've got a bench and you've got uh, 20 players on the bench. Now you've got, say I'm standing behind the Boston Bruin bench, because I know you're a Boston Bruin fan, and uh, uh, they're my second favorite team as well after the because of Bobby Orr. So I'm standing on the bench and I've got different players. Well, we know Brad Marchant's a good player. We know Pasternak's a good player, but... We know McAvoy. We know the different players are good. But some guys, if you could just imagine, they're all circles. Just imagine in your mind, they're all just circles. And that circle represents their ego. Well, some players, like going back in the days, Derek Sanderson, he had his circle on the bench would be a big, big circle. Really big, big. eagle. His circle would be bigger. And then you'd have some other guy on the bench who'd have a tiny little circle. So the key to having a team that's going to win is to have all those circles the same size so we're all working together and have a line drawn between each circle on the bench so that they're connected academically, spiritually, and physically. So they, they know this is how we're going to play, this is how the coach wants us to go, the speed of the group's determined by the speed of the leader. Now, the leader is the coach. I'm the coach behind. My circle, guess what? It's the biggest circle on that bench. Behind them, it's a big circle, and there's a line pointed forward into each circle on that bench. So I'm connected. I'm putting my mind, my thoughts, 
my vision of our team into their head. The coaches, the coach wants us, he wants us, he doesn't want that third man watching that third man high. He doesn't want that third man high watching the game. Like, I never wanted, if there's a two-on-two, if there's a one-on-one battle, if there's a second guy near on your team, get in there. Make it a two-on-one. So if they put a guy in, then if you're standing there, get in there, make it three. And if if the three-on-two is not winning, get the fourth guy in there. Like, to me, strength in numbers. So, the you know, like, and the speed of the group determined by the speed of the leader. It's not always, it's not the coach who's the leader. Each player gets an opportunity to be the leader of the team, just like the ducks flying south. The lead duck, they 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 rotate around. So I believe that I had a gift to communicate, and I would talk to the players. I would relate to the players. I uh, we'd go out, we'd have Bible studies, we'd come together, they'd be laughing, joking, we'd go to mothers, guys would be a few guys would be drinking beer, and I go, this is a Bible study. We were just getting together. Yeah, and I used that that book as a playbook. My playbook was a book that was written by a lot of authors. It was, there's some old stuff and there's some new stuff, and there's uh, there's a lot of different guys. And the coach of that team had 33 undefeated seasons, um, and he put together a team of 12 guys. And, uh, yeah, they, they spread the good news that there's a way and there's the truth and there's a life. And that's the, uh, that's the spiritual side. And that's 33 of that guy named, we know who he is, yeah. lived 33 years. And yeah. those 12 guys were the apostles. So, like, people think, I, but I was in a Catholic school and I took full advantage of it. Yeah. Now, uh, academically, yeah, let's learn how, let's learn that we have to communicate, relate, motivate each other and that, like even when I would be on the ice coaching, you know, we'd have the whiteboard, and you see the coaches. They draw it up, all the players around. I can remember drawing up plays on the whiteboard: our breakout, our forecheck, our defensive zone positioning, uh, neutral zone faceoffs. We had plays everywhere. On a faceoff from center, we had a play. From each five of all the five circles, we had a play on. Like everything was. We had a playbook. We had a playbook when I coached in hockey. Uh, way back when no other coaches had playbooks, we had these playbooks. All of, Whatever we did, we put it in a playbook. Study the playbook. Okay, this leap, we're doing this. And I learned that from football. So I'm on the whiteboard drawing up some plays, our power play breakout or whatever it is. And uh, I, I see in the reflection of the glass, I see some players not even looking at me. You know, as coaches, we think, oh, yeah, they're all tuned in. <laughs> you know, they don't really want to hear too much from you. They don't really want to hear, like, long speeches before a game. or They really don't want to hear you talk too much. They're there to play when it's game time. Yeah. So, But when it's practice time, it's my time. It's our time. It's time for us to be on the same page. So when I see these players not looking at me, I, uh, I think I've got to change this up. So I'm I'm writing some plays, and then I go, I'll use Rico Rossi's example, because he was one of my favorites. He was, well, even Jared Docking ended up going to uh, um, D, D3 school and uh, was a great player. Totally didn't pay attention at all. 
So I'd call them up and I say, okay, look, draw up our breakout or whatever I'm doing. Then I st- didn't have a clue. And then I started realizing I'm going to have every one of my players. Like what is real motivation? Motivation is accountability. I'm going to make these guys accountable. It's your job when you come in the arena in the morning to with a key to open the door so that everyone can come in. You're motivated to do that. If you don't open that door, no one can come in. Yeah. No one can do what they have to do. So I started getting our players involved in the coaching. And like, for example, another one, like a minute to go in the game, you're down a goal, which didn't happen too often to us. Um, I'd say to the players, who are the six best players on the ice right tonight? Because there's six guys, like there's five, three forwards, two D and a goalie. Now you got the goalie out. Uh, so you, you got six you got six choices to make. All why are us coaches deciding who the six best are when the people who are really in the heat of the battle know who should be on the ice? We we know, like say, like the Leafs have this, uh, you know, Matthews and uh, Marner and uh, Nylander. They're good forwards. Well, maybe this certain night they're not playing that good. Maybe. Uh, the lesser lights are so let the players make that decision they can claim the game is theirs and now they know they're part of the the the, the process and so just i guess i'm going on about my coaching style but that's the way i coached and i even had a rap my name is cam some call me scam others call me coach you know i'm easy to approach i'm lean i'm mean i'm a coaching machine i got something to say i can't delay don't you sweat don't you fret and dunny don't you go smoking any funny cigarette <laughs> and you know it just would go on and on and like i just loved my players i uh, uh i was honest with them uh i uh, i worked them hard and uh, God rewarded me to be in positions to coach great players. And so when now you're transitioning to will transition to uh, being a personal coach, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you've got to work extensively with uh, with uh, the, the Lindros brothers, mm-hmm. Rick Nash. David yeah. uh, David Clarkson and you even we talked yeah. a little before the show you even spent uh, 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 an afternoon two hours with Sidney Crosby yeah. So I, yeah what 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 are you bringing to them as a as a one on one coach well and what's your approach to that yeah that was that was probably a lot of fun it's like I can remember when Carl Lindros approached me about working with uh, Eric and I'm like Eric Lindros and I'm going. He's 12 years old. I said, I don't work with 12 year olds. Like, I, you know, like I'm, you know, like I'm a junior coach because he'd seen me coaching junior. So, well, just fast forward with Eric. Uh, I go on the ice with him and I would, uh, I said to him, show me your uh, favorite move. So he goes in and he does a backhand shot into the net. And I'm thinking, oh, well, backhand shot. That's, don't go to your backhand. But then, when I looked at the puck, the puck was stuck in the back of the net around the back of the, the cross, the pipe in the back of the net. I'm going, do that again. And I watched it and he, and the, the, the backhand shot he took was like a forehand wrist shot. I'd never seen it. So he had a skill that he already had. So I went, Oh yeah, keep that. And so 
you know, we uh, do one-time shots. He'd go through 10 sticks. There were wooden sticks at the time, one-time shots. He'd break them. And so he had certain skills already. And I always say this. Like, I got to work with so many players, like maybe over 100 of them. Like, I'm not going to start naming them. All kinds of top players because once you're in the paper, like that picture with, with Lindros in the paper, I started getting phone calls from everyone. Like, oh, it's on yeah. the front page of the Toronto Star Sports section. And all of a sudden, I'm a I'm an expert. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy that I I, I had good skills. Uh, anyone that knew me that when I played hockey, I was a good hockey player. And uh, but it wasn't my main sport, but I was good at it. And football, I could catch the ball with one hand. Baseball, I could throw it from center field without a bounce. Like I was, I was a good athlete, but not you know good enough to to make it, obviously. And uh, so when I work with these players, I'd see what skill they had, and I would copy it. And then, uh, so then I'd go on the ice with another player, like Michael Camilleri. I tutored him for a number of years. He was a real skilled guy, and uh, he dominated GTHL. It was a great NHL player. And then I, you know, I'd go on with, uh, uh, well, I, Coach Toffoli and, you know, Smith Pelly, they're young guys. But, you know, when you're a puppy and you, and you, you don't bite, you're not going to bite when you're a dog. Or if you're a puppy, you bite. You're going to bite when you're a dog. So you're learning these things from the players. And so what I would do is I would pass one uh, skill from one player onto the next. I said, listen, try this. But then what I would I, I can't brag about it. I had a gift to see things that other people didn't see. For example, if I was to ask anyone, a pro, how many strides does it take to go the full length of the ice? They wouldn't know. So, like, if you're an engine and, you're, and, you're, and you've got pistons in a vehicle and the pistons are going up and down, you're not going, well, how do you, you know, you got 300 horse in a vehicle. You don't know exactly the how much gas is being in, going in, going into the engine and how it's really functioning. You just know you just skate. Like if you put a guy on the goal line and you say, okay, go the length of the ice. And like, I would race the guys and we go to the end of the ice and we're both tied. Well, it cost me energy to get there and it cost him energy. Well, the, for me, I'm, I was always looking for, why pay all this energy to go the full length of the ice if you can pay less? We all look for deals in life. Well, you look at the uh, all-star, you look at the, the race where they go around, it's 14 point something seconds. So I say, okay, what is that? So that must be from goal line to goal line is five seconds. From each corner is two. And then back five seconds and each corner, 14 seconds. So I said, well, how many strides does it take to go 14 seconds? So I would get guys on the goal line. We're talking about working with these guys. And I say, okay, I want you to skate the full length of the ice and I'm going to count your strides. And I'd see guys going like 17, 18, 19 strides pumping. And so then I'd say, okay, let's go from blue line to blue line. So we, I would go with them. We'll skate around the net. And when we hit the first blue line coming from behind the net, 
let's go all out blue line to blue line. So we go blue line to blue line. And I would count their strides and they'd be doing six and seven. And I'd be doing two or three and we'd be tied. Yeah. Like we'd be both going from blue line, to blue line to same. So I'm only paying two or three strides to go from blue line to blue line. So I would, I would work on things like that. Like, like I'd say from the goal line to the blue line, it's six strides from blue line to blue line. It's three. And then when you hit to that far blue line, you're gliding. So I would pass that kind of information on guy. Like when you think of Wayne Gretzky, how many points did he score when everybody else was sitting on the bench? Cause he had more energy. Yeah. At any rate, I would, I, I would, I would, I would do things like, for example, with the puck, you see all the skills they have now. We were always working on different things. I used to be able to pick the puck up like a, you know, a spatula and you flip an egg. Yeah, I would pick the puck up with one hand underneath and pick the puck, just scoop the puck up. Then I would do pick it up and then do all these lacrosse moves. This is way back before they were doing what they do, that Michigan play. Yeah, I had a player named Ryan O'Mara that did it in an OHL game years ago. No one even knew what happened. It was so quick. But we, I, I was teaching all our guys, you know, the different parts breaking it down like like when you're puck handling don't bang the ice be soft get the soft hands just working on on the different parts and not just saying okay this is the way you should do it you know like certain guys just like i used to say shoulders over knees knees over toes football position i used to i used to show them in baseball, that's your posture. In basketball, shooting the ball. In football, that posture. An athletic stance, that's what it was. And so what I would say, is, like the skating motion is posture, push, glide, stride, and rhythm. You bring it all together. And we would do it. Like I remember working with Mark Popovic. He played in the NHL Atlanta years ago. I worked with him for about seven, eight years. Like, it was like you'd watch these guys skating. And I would do these figure skating moves. And I just rhythm, rhythm. But your knees. Oh, we would get on the goal line. One push. So posture. Get in your posture position. One push. I would push because I would explain it, demonstrate it, correct it, repeat it. And I would push the full length of the ice on one push and glide the full length of the ice and maybe hit the far goal line and come back to the blue line so all that stuff it was not just about i'm telling you i'm demonstrating it explaining it and the guys just got better and then they became and all the guys i coached steve spots in the nhl like there's all uh rossi in europe uh, so many guys i coached became coaches because i enabled them and made them part of the process to the pinnacle so Is i don't there- know what i is there is there one young kid that you remember the most of doing something and that you were it was the most impressive thing that you had seen? Oh, Sidney Crosby, without a doubt. So how I bring him on the ice. I bring how, the kid on the ice. I walk in. Our owner owns this arena out here in uh, Mississauga. He ended up owning the Georgetown Raiders when. I uh, went there. We won the Dudley Hewitt. We went to the Royal Bank Cup. Everywhere, everything is just all. And I'm not bragging about it. Just I know where it came from. I know that I had, I had a, a guy that was leading me and directing me. 
And uh, I know my playbook, what it was. It was the Bible then. That was that, uh, that, and that's just, I would tell the players, let everyone be sure they're doing their very best with and have personal satisfaction of a job well done, won't need to compare themselves to anyone else. I got that out of the big book. And, but anyway, what was the question again? Because I go off and all these. Things. Yeah, it was talking about the most impressive thing. Yes. The, okay. Sydney, pardon me. Yeah. So, so Georgetown Raiders, we're going to bring Sidney Crosby onto our team in Georgetown. The like we this has been set up. He's 14 years old. I'm going to go on the ice, tutor him. We're in uh, our owner's arena. No one else is there. So I walk in the arena. And I'm looking around. I don't see anyone. I, our, our owner's upstairs. I don't see anyone. Where, where, where is, where is this, this, this kid? I was calling him a kid. Yeah. Not, you know, they end up being called said the kid. I'm going like. So I, there's this guy walking along outside, the, like beside the rink, near the dressing rooms, and I'm walking down, and I get half. I see him coming at me, and I get halfway, and he's the little kid. And I said, hey, buddy, have you seen a hockey player in any of those dressing rooms? Because he kept going in. I saw him going in the room as I'm walking, coming out, sticking his head in, looking. And he had like a neck choker around his neck, an open shirt. And he, like he, he was just not very big. I says, he says, no, I didn't. I said, yeah, I'm looking for this hot shot, Sidney Crosby. <laughs> and he goes, I'm him. <laughs> I goes, you're Sidney Crosby? He goes, yeah. I says, are you standing up? <laughs> he was just a grunt. Like, so he gets his equipment on. Of course, they all, they all, he looks bigger, but he's, I'd be five foot seven at the time, but he's only 14 years old. But we get on the ice and we're skating around and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, you can see this kid's good on his edges. You know, he's this. So I start doing my thing about, okay, get on the goal line. Let's see you go lengthy. I said, see how many strides you are, like you go. And he's a pretty fluent skater. And and then I start showing him this inside edge, like where you do the spread eagle. Yeah. I says, if a guy hits you on your shoulder, it doesn't matter how small you are. If a guy hits you on your shoulder and you do an inside edge, you're like a turnstile. So yeah. if you've got a 300-pounder running through a turnstile, that turnstile is not taking any beating at all. So that was my whole, you know, thing like I'd have guys putting a stick in between the legs doing can openers and all these little dirty tricks which the Lindrosses loved because uh, <laughs> that's what they said one time they're always teaching them all the nasties in that book they wrote um uh anyway so I'm looking at everything I showed them I was on the ice with them two hour two and a quarter hours I remember it because uh it was sort of like him get to know me me get to know him and he's going to come on the team. Yeah. So he was just amazing. I showed him the inside edge, bang. And I'm thinking, have you done this before? Like, it just, he was just – because I would when I would do the inside edge with our players, I'd have guys doing crossovers, and I would do inside edge, and it was effortless. I actually did a commercial in Europe on that. But he was unbelievable. I went to his parents, and I said, you know, this guy's unreal. This guy's a player. And he, it's my fault that he never played for our team because uh, I said that um, we had nine 20 year olds on our team that were from the OHL that were going to be on our team that were big guys. And we we're going to be going out west playing teams like 
Camrose and all these top teams. And I said, he's not going to, he'll probably play on our third, third line. Imagine telling somebody that Sydney, you're going to play on our third line. Well, he's only 14 years old. Yeah. He ends up going to Shattuck or somewhere. And I, I regret that we, I didn't say, yeah, come on our team. <laughs> like, yeah. It would have been great to coach that dude. Oh yeah. But I got to work with him. That's a fact. Yeah. Well, Coach Cam, this is what the show's about. It's, you know, uh, it's about hockey journeys. And yours is a bit different than I think any other guest we've had on. Trust me, we've had on a variety of of, of uh, guests. And um, we got to have you come back on because we didn't even get to probably even a, an uh, eighth of the some of the stories that you could tell us. And we'd have to ask you some really pointed questions man i mean you're just like uh, a wealth of uh of knowledge and stories here and have you back to get some um feedback on today's coaching oh boy that's interesting yeah you know i yeah. mean like you know they're saying that tortorella is like the old school coach but he's really not the old school coach i, I like that guy i like that coach and, and you know it's funny a lot of the coaches are, I don't want to be too critical of them, but like there's, there's three types of coaches. Like coach, coach uh, number three is the coach who's 100% about himself. He doesn't really care about the player. He just wants to go up the ladder. And coach number and the hundred percent, the players getting, getting the short end coach number two, uh, is uh, did people see us or are they just listening to us? Because coach number two, yeah, <laughs> it could be both. Sometimes we coach number three, like it's like, <laughs> there you go, like the, so. Coach number two, it's 50 50, okay, but the player's still shortchanged. The coach number one is all about the player and and how and move and letting him get to the next level. That's the type of coach I put the category I put myself in, and yeah, that's good, but you're not. You're not going to really move up the ladder, but if I was to coach again, I think I would certainly clean up some of the crazy stuff I did. Well, I have to if I wanted to go down, but I was never meant to to go to the next level. I was meant to coach uh, minor hockey, junior hockey, and coached in Europe. Uh, but yeah, that's what I was meant to do. Well, I believe. It, it's okay. it's it's been great getting to know you and would you be willing to be coming back on sometime yeah you know if i came back on we could have more of a thought-provoking discussion and a meaningful exchange of views <laughs> no that's one no. of my lines i use all the time well and, been... and and i want to hit too and i guess i'll finish with this i think this wraps up your your coaching style i i said this off air but i want to say it on air too and and this is what it uh really attracted to me as to, to finding out about your coaching style you said this quote my style of coaching is all about relentless pursuit with controlled aggression. Correct. To me, to me, that's hockey. Yeah. And I'm, not, yeah. I'm not sure if we have, and I, I mean, who am I to criticize? Right. I, I didn't, I didn't play past high school, but we don't always see that in today's game. And sometimes it gets a little selfish. It's not as gritty as I would like it, but then again, I'm, I'm a little on the old school. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's well said because that's the truth. I mean, the players, this, like I say, the speed of the group is determined by the speed of the leader. And I don't think necessarily the coach has is the leader all the time. I mean, you got to let the players step up. Yeah. You know, that's what we're 
coaches are saying, come on, let's go. They want more out of the players, but the players aren't. The player already knows the coach, you know, this, I'll end with this. You've, you've heard this in so many sports. The coach will say, I love that guy. I love that guy. I love that guy. Well, you know what? All the other players know that you love that guy. What about me, coach? Yeah. you got to love every one of them. And those good coaches, and I think guys like that Tortorell, I think he loves all the players and he gives them tough love. And if you don't put out, there you go, buddy. Have a seat. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah I'll, come back. I'll come back on because, yeah, there's a lot more to brag about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely will have you back on. Uh, hang on. Uh, officially, I want to thank you, but uh, I'll, I'll say goodbye off air. So, Okay. Coach Dan, thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me on. It was a, a pleasure.